the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Today is Tuesday, February the 25th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on uh, February 25, 1964, for those of you who like boxing or used to like boxing, I used to be, I, I grew up in a family, my dad was big into boxing. He and his brothers would get together on, I think it was Saturday night. Friday night or Saturday night, and they'd listen to uh, boxing matches on the radio. I was a little kid. I would sit there with the men and listen to them, and I knew some of the names way back in the day. And uh, most of the fights, as I recall, the boxing matches were coming from Madison Square Garden. I didn't know where that was, but it sounded like a big deal. And we used to listen to the boxing matches. Well, for those of you who are still interested or have been interested in the past, I'm not so much anymore, but... Uh, today on February 25, 1964, Muhammad Ali, he was then known as Cassius Clay, he became the world heavyweight boxing champion. He defeated Sonny Liston in Miami Beach. That was a big deal. Today in 1793, President George Washington held the first cabinet meeting on record at his uh, Mount Vernon home. In attendance at the cabinet, uh, cabinet meeting uh, were Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, uh, Treasury, uh, Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton, Secretary of War Henry Knox, and Attorney General Edmund Randolph. Also, um, Washington had held uh, another meeting there in 1791, but he had held the meeting to uh, sign a bill that created the Bank of the United States. But I guess this was the first official cabinet meeting in this new great country that had just been created. Today in 1804, Thomas Jefferson was nominated for president by the Republican-slash-Democrat Party caucuses. Today in 1836, inventor Samuel Colt, he patented his revolver. It was the first revolving cylinder multi-shot firearm. Today in 1836, boy, the left doesn't, still doesn't like poor old Samuel Colt. Today in 1901, the United States Steel Corporation was incorporated by J.P. Morgan. And today in 1913, everything changed in America. We had gotten away from the oppressive taxes of the king and we had come to the new world. And now today in 1913, the 16th Amendment to the United States Constitution came into being. It gave Congress the power to levy and collect income taxes. And the um, Secretary of State at the time was, his name was Philander. <laughs> that was his first name, Philander Chase Knox. And he declared that the 16th Amendment was in effect. And boy, the government has not stopped collecting since then, have they? In fact, in 1919, Oregon was the first state in the United States to 
introduce and institute a gasoline tax, one cent per gallon. They said it was to fix all the roads so the roads would remain perfect. Other states followed, of course, and all over America we drive along and try to miss the potholes because that gas tax money seems to always end up somewhere else than where it's supposed to be. Today in 2018, China's official news agency said the country's ruling Communist Party had proposed scrapping term limits for China's president. They said, no, he's so great, he's so great that we want to scrap term limits on him, the current president, and he now can rule at least beyond 2023, but they have not put a cap on how long he can rule. That's China. I want to talk to you a little bit today about what's happening in America. FDR, a Democrat, he said freedom cannot be bestowed. It has to be achieved. Robert Frost, in one of his poems, said freedom. Freedom lies in being bold. George Washington said, Liberty, when it takes root, is a plant of rapid growth. It is, but there are those among us who keep trying to pull up those plants before they have a chance to propagate. John Adams, another one of our founding fathers, he said, You will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. I personally believe there are those on the left who would like to do as China has done in 2018 and remove all term limits. And if they can get their people in, the Schumers, the Nancy Pelosi's and the rest of them, if they can get them in office, particularly in the Oval Office, then let's just go with that so we can get our philosophy of remaking America deeply rooted in this nation under God. That is the contest that we're facing today in America. Patrick Henry famously made a lot of statements. He's often quoted. Perhaps the statement that he made that's most quoted is when he had been looking out onto the coastline of America. It was only a few colonies in those days, but they had a dream city on a hill, and they were committed to freedom and liberty. Patrick Henry had been homeschooled. He was a devout Christian. His parents were Christians. He loved God. He studied the Word of God. Most of them did, our founders. But he stood before his colleagues in government in what would become the United States, and he said, Is life so dear or peace so sweet? as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it. Almighty God. He said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That was how deep the resolve was of these people who founded this country. But I will tell you, today there is an assault on everything, everything, that was infused and embedded into the founding of this country as far as principles, beliefs, even ways of doing things. 
There are people in America today who would scrap all of that to go back to some former kind of socialism that we see practiced in obscure countries of the world and not so successfully as they present it often. Boy, I'll tell you, former Vice President Joe Biden was supposed to be the standard bearer for the Democratic Party this year. He said, well, I, you know, I'm, you know, Joe, he, he said, I, I sure, I'll, I'll run to save the country. I, I'm in retirement. I'm very happy, but I'll be happy to run. Remember that little conversation that he had a couple of years ago? Well, that all changed when he thought he had a real chance to become president of the United States. But Joe probably isn't as far left as the people he's running against, honestly. Oh, I'm not here today to defend Joe Biden for sure. But I'm just saying, he is a lefty. But in today's environment, and with those people he's standing on stage with, still trying to hang in there, he's losing. But with those people, he has become the moderate. Because they are so far left. He's having a lot of problems. Last night, last night... Um, his campaign people had rented a gym in a small college. I think it's College of Charleston or something in South Carolina. They have a um, Democratic debate tonight on television. And then the, uh, I think they have caucuses in South Carolina. Anyway, they're held on Saturday this coming to bestow more um, votes on these candidates. So Joe's people had, Joe Biden's people had rented this gym, and you could tell it, it it was set up. I looked at a number of pictures from it. I wasn't there, of course. If I were in South Carolina, I would not have been there, but I, I looked at a number of pictures, and it looked like they were set up for maybe a thousand people. It was a, it was a small college, you know, like a basketball, it was a basketball court, and they had a stage on one end of it, and and. They had some chairs kind of in the back, and then there were bleachers up on the side. I I couldn't, I don't know how many it would have seated, but it could have handled probably up to a thousand or twelve hundred. I don't I don't know. That would be my guess. I felt sorry for him. I did. There he was on that stage, and his people said there were two hundred people there. So you better know two hundred would be the top number. There was a small group of people standing around the front of the stage. The basketball court was empty. All of the bleacher seats were empty. And Joe was up there stuttering and stammering in a way that he could hardly communicate what he was trying to say. And he had decided because there was a significant number of blacks there, and he has always said that he is, he you know, relates to the black and they like him and they're going to vote for him. And he was just going off, just yelling about Donald Trump. And he was back to that thing. Happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, back in 2017. And he he kept saying it over and over again. He said, he said, I he said, President Trump called those racist, very fine people and. He said they were neo-Nazis and on and on. I mean, just going on and on and repeating that. And that's been debunked. Trump didn't, and I, I'm not even 
attempting to defend Trump. But Trump didn't say that, and everybody knows it. Even the people that were there in the gym know it. They probably wish he would have said it so they could accuse him of it, but they know he didn't say it. He didn't say Antifa and the extremists in Charlottesville back in 2017 that where that riot was and all that. He didn't say they were very fine people. He said what he said was that there were some fine people on both sides of the ideologies that wanted to get rid of the statues. It had nothing to do with the riot. And again, every even even Bernie Sanders isn't accusing Trump of that because he knows that the people know that that wasn't what was being said. My point is simply that there was such a, a tone of desperation. Joe's trying to hold on as a moderate, kind of a middle Democrat, and I don't know how this election is going to come out, but today it looks like Bernie Sanders is on his way. And that's what's happening in America. I would think that Patrick Henry... John Adams and a whole bunch of other people would, as they say, roll over in their grave if they could hear what we're hearing today in America. Obama was so far left and so persuasive with his leftist ideas that he captured the voting electorate with promises that he knew he could never keep. He was using the skills of Saul Alinsky in his organizing. He nourished a disdain for America that we hadn't had before, not at least in a public expression, with a promise of new, the new Remake America philosophy. He traveled the country. He apologized all over the world for America and all of our faults, and we're not perfect. I mean, we all know that. But did he have to travel the world and tell the world how bad we are as president of the United States? All of that led to about 63 million people strongly disagreeing with Obama. And when Hillary Clinton emerged four years ago and said, I want to carry on this legacy, I'm I'm the man, but I'm a woman. And we're going to break a glass ceiling and we're going to carry on Obama's you know, legacy and blah, blah, blah. About 63 million people got some resolve. And they said, no, you're not. We weren't planning all of us to vote for Donald Trump, but we're going to because we don't want America to go that direction. And it didn't at that moment. John Daniel Davison wrote an interesting article that I read yesterday in The Federalist. I don't agree with all he's saying in the article, so I know some of you read what I write and, and you look at the sources, and I, I'm glad you do. Many, many do. But I don't agree with everything he's saying in this article. Just let me tell you that if you're one who looks at, at, the, recent, at the sources that I use for the article that we publish every morning, it's called Faith and Freedom Daily. You can get it, uh, and there's no obligation. Your name is never shared with anybody for any reason. It's not loaned, leased, rented, whatever, sold. We never, ever do that, and we don't hound you with a bunch of emails all day long. I mean, I'm mean, i on some mailing lists. Of, some organizations are, are run, and some were founded by friends of mine. And, man, I get four and five and six email from them a day. I finally, I just start clicking them off. I feel like I'm about to drown in their emails. And I like these people a lot. I get 
the same from other people I don't like so much, but I even some of my friends, I'm going, whoa, hold it. We don't do that. You, you get a... You get a blog, you get an article every morning, and it's in your inbox, and you can read it or not. Your name doesn't go anywhere. It's locked up in our office, believe me. Nobody gets it for any reason. But if you want to get it, and we don't do fundraisers and that kind of thing on there, we talk to our listening audience here about our budget. In fact, I might do that right now. We need your help. We're supported completely by donations, contributions, and... Um, we're running behind this month, um, and the month is, I can see the end of the month, and the bills come due, and we pay our bills on time, and um, I want to be able to do that, so we need your help. We don't do long fundraisers either if you're a new listener. We just tell you when we really do need some help, and maybe some of you can step up and do something a little more than you normally do or whatever to help us catch up, but uh, we meet our budget each month through you who believe in what we're doing and want it to continue. So thank you so much. Our mailing address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. If you want to get the article that I was talking about a moment ago, that's at Faith and Freedom, just faithandfreedom.us. Not .com, but .us. You go to that website, and it'll just pop up. You'll see. And I'm, I'm talking about what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about in my article today. And sometimes we talk about different things. But anyway, we're at a point in America where there is a, a, a strain. There is stress. There is, is emotion. There is a lot of anger. There's a lot. There's deep. We're deeply divided. There's a deep division in America today. And that's what... That's what John Daniel Davidson was writing about yesterday in The Federalist, and I quote a little bit of what he's saying, but again, I don't agree with all that he's saying. But basically, what I do agree with is that he's saying that that Donald Trump wasn't created out of the anger of the right. I do agree with that. But the anger of the right was created out of the relentless pursuit of far-left socialist policies, particularly by Barack Obama. And we're seeing that there is a group of people in America, the left, mostly in the Democrat Party, but some are not. They're independent or whatever. But there is that group of people in America who want to go further left. And Bernie Sanders has tapped into that. And Bernie Sanders, I don't know where we'll be in a few months. I mean, it's a long time till the election in November. But Bernie Sanders is emerging as the leader by all accounts. At the very least... At the very least, people are coalescing around Sanders. He was in Austin, Texas Sunday night. 13,000 people were there. While Joe Biden was in South Carolina, which is supposed to be his, as they say in politics, his firewall. That's supposed to put him back on the map, and maybe it will. I mean, we'll find out Saturday. But here he is talking to a people who, in the most generous guess at the attendance, is 200. Probably less than that. It looked like less than that to me. So that's what's happening. There is a insatiable desire among a certain group of people in America today to transform American politics. And that's what Bernie Sanders is appealing to. But who is Bernie? Who created Bernie? It wasn't Trump. It wasn't the people on the right. It wasn't the evangelicals. Who created Bernie Sanders? 
I want to look at him just for a moment today, not in criticism. He's kind of funny sometimes. But a friend of mine in Tacoma sent me an email the other day. I think it was yesterday or maybe it was Sunday. Sent me, it was a long list of things that defined Bernie's life, how he became Bernie Sanders. And I found it very interesting. It was all taken from Wikipedia. There's pages on him, of course, in Wikipedia. I'd like to share, I'm not going to go, it was tons of stuff, but it, it's all supposedly verified as Wikipedia goes. But some of the things that are there that are commonly known by people who look into these things, Bernie never held a real job. I mean, a real, like a career-type job. He had part-time jobs and one thing or another. But he never really held a real job until he was elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont, and he was 53 years old. He had run for office for 10, 12, 15 years, but never had been able to, you know, win an election. But he did at 53. Another thing that is there on this long list, he lived off welfare, had four different women that helped support him. He fathered a child out of wedlock with one of them, three marriages that didn't work out. I think it was actually two, but Wikipedia says three. Uh, I think the third marriage is the one he's in now. But in the Senate, he finally got elected to the Senate. He's introduced 364 bills. Three of them have passed, but two of the three were to name post offices in Vermont. Bernie grew up in a home with deep financial problems and a father who rented about their difficulties. Insanely at times, we're told, blaming society and blaming economic inequity for his plight. He never took responsibility for his own plight. This was Bernie's inspiration. Bernie grew up in that environment, and that's why Bernie, at a young age, as a teenager and as a young adult, took up the cause of economic justice. As a college graduate, he spent half his life living off the women in his life, part-time jobs and unemployment checks. Truly. His activism for civil rights was replaced by activism for socialism. And once he got on that socialism track, or driving in that lane, as they say, he left democratic socialism, which he's now claiming, and he embraced fully, and there's much written about this, the very oppressive, far-left, leftist Marxism. Bernie applied as a conscientious objector and to, Vietnam, to the Vietnam War, but it, he was rejected. He fathered a child with his girlfriend. That slowed things down, and by the time his draft number came up, he was too old and wasn't called to active duty. Bernie honeymooned with one of his wives in, a communist, in communist Russia. He's actually talked about that. He honeymooned with another wife in pro-Soviet Nicaragua and another one in Cuba. His socialist friends right now are upset at him. They're very angry at him because they say that he has betrayed them because he has moved a little away from his far-left position that he's held up until he ran for president, starting in the last 2016 election and carrying on now. They're saying that he has departed, he has abandoned, he has betrayed the hardcore beliefs that he and they have held all these years and shared. That's just a peek at the man who would be president of the United States. But that was then. This is now. Sure it is. Sunday night, day before yesterday, Bernie was on 60 Minutes, CBS. Bernie talked about wide-ranging free stuff, including 
making all public colleges and universities tuition-free, canceling all student debt, and he introduced a new plan to guarantee free childcare and pre-kindergarten to all American children from infancy to age four. In other words, providing through socialism for the middle class so that we can all be the same through risk redistribution of wealth, all kids will be educated now from, in his America, age four through college university. And don't worry about student debt. We'll take care of it for you because you now belong to us, really. Abraham Lincoln once said, wisely so, he said, the philosophy of the classroom today will be the philosophy of government tomorrow. Bernie wants to continue what was started by Dewey, Thomas Dewey, and some of these people that introduced progressivism into our education system. Our education system has now become an indoctrination exercise, not not an education exercise. So they were grilling Bernie on, I mean, it's so outlandish what he's saying. Anybody knows you can't do that. You know, you can't give three dimes to a kid when you've only got two dimes. You can promise, but you can't do it. And so they were asking, they said, well, now, you know, Senator Sanders, how are you going to pay for this? And Bernie said on CBS, 60 Minutes, day before yesterday, he said, I get a little tired of hearing my opponent saying, gee, how are you going to pay for a program that impacts and helps children or working class families or middle class families? How are you going to pay for that? He said, I get sick and tired of that. He said, yet, where are people saying, how are you going to pay for over $750 billion on military spending? How are you going to pay for a trillion dollars in tax breaks for the 1% in large corporations and blah, 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 blah. He doesn't know how he's going to pay for that. Finally, he came out last night with a little sheet of paper, and he said, here's how we're going to pay for this. I didn't see the sheet, but boy, I don't think so, and nobody else does either. But I think the most concerning voices that he is ignoring, of course, and the others, Ocasio-Cortez and all of these people that are coalescing around him, who knows what his cabinet would look like? Who knows what his vice presidential choice would be? Oh, boy. But there's advice coming to Bernie, and in particular from some young people, young adults in Venezuela. Campus Reform said yesterday in an article that they published, they said, with Senator Bernie Sanders now the clear frontrunner for the Democratic nomination for president, even some on the left have expressed worry. People like lefties Chris Matthews and Joy Reid, she's Hillary Clinton's former campaign manager. James Carville, he's kind of the face of the Democratic Party. He's a consultant and he manages, um, you know, campaign and so on. They're in near panic, campus reform said. And they said they should be. They said they talked, they've been talking to young adults from Venezuela and they said, man, they, one of them said, said, you do not ever want anyone, not even close to socialism, to come to this country. That person continued talking and named Bernie Sanders. This person said it was a, a, a woman, a young woman. It looked like she was 21 or so. She said, Bernie Sanders is your enemy. Do not ever get this individual or any of the socialists. It's not the route to go. It is not possible. It is not feasible. Don't fall for it. Well, these people did fall for it. They went along with it in Venezuela, and they've seen the result. 
Another college-age kid said, we also thought we could never hap- this could never happen in our country. We had balanced powers. We had democracy. We had our leaders. Another said he was born and raised in Venezuela. He said, I've seen my country deteriorate and fall apart under socialism. That's probably the understatement. 